Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the RegTech Legends podcast. I'm your host, Tom Richardson, and we will be bringing you all of the latest news, insight, and interviews with leaders and subject matter experts from the world of RegTech. Today, we're going to be joined by Charlie Dellingpole, three-time entrepreneur and founder of AML startup Comply Advantage. Now, Charlie and I have had the opportunity to uh, speak a few times over the years, but this is the first time I was able to sit down and... Um, go a little bit deeper in conversation with him uh, for a meaningful length of time. And I've got to say, I loved it. It was a really interesting conversation. I don't want to give the game away in the intro to the interview itself, but it was really fascinating to get an insight into the way his mind works and also the scale of his ambition. Um, So without further ado, let's go straight into the action with Charlie now, where I ask him to tell us where his story begins. I mean, like, I guess... When I was six, my dad had a company, right? Um, which then like, like collapsed basically. So he lost everything. Um, well, he, he inherited a company. And then I guess as I was growing up, like everyone had big companies, but like, um, yeah, we were like bankrupt basically, right? So I guess like I kind of wanted to build a proper company. So um, I kind of started when I was 16 and that did okay. So I, yeah, I, I started the student room. Um, and then I guess I realized in doing that, that I didn't know how to run a company. So I went to JP Morgan to try and run a company or at least learn from people who were running companies in terms of like CEOs and stuff. Um, and the JP Morgan, my clients were like Reed Elsevier, Dow Jones, LexisNexis, Reuters. I worked on the Thomas Reuters merger. Um, I covered this space from a kind of M&A perspective, right? So, um, like choice point came across my desk in 2000 and like, 2010 right so um yeah like um all these companies the space like i knew right and then um i left to like i was always interested in like b2b and SaaS, and um and like i I could code i built my first company like in my bedroom right um so and then i guess in doing market invoice i understood from a practitioner's perspective the horrors of aml in terms of having to be a nominated mrlo um and therefore i guess the financial crisis led to like both the proximate collapse of many banks but also a collapse in trust um which we exploited the 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 former in terms of balance sheet deficiencies of market invoice but then i guess the the regulatory backlash um, and the the use of banks as as like funds for funding everything else by regulators in terms of massive fines. Um, so I, I think my colleagues who are still JP Morgan all pointed to the fact that compliance was a like a, the fastest growing space in any bank, and therefore um, like I investigated that further. And for me, the kind of the the technology around money laundering, terrorist financing just seems so like archaic and backwards. Like in an area where you have like Google, Facebook, Baidu, Amazon, all these companies to have like horrendous technology, like as was evident, evidently being used or offered to market invoice and other companies. Like it just seemed like space that had to change. Yeah. If we could just come back to student rooms briefly, um, I think most people would find that pretty remarkable that a 16-year-old in his bedroom at home would 
somehow just invent this company, Student Rooms. How exactly does that come about? So it was like 98, 99, right? So it was the first dot-com boom, right? So I just got like tons of books on like programming and web servers and just built everything myself, right? Um, I was coding myself and I built like 10 different websites and they all, they all kind of worked to an extent, right? As in there were databases of like essays, which is kind of like Elsevier, I guess, to an extent, right? Um, and that was like a good business, right? As in like my first term at university, I was making like two grand a day in cash, right? From that. So it was like, you know, right. and like it just exploded, right? And so everything worked, right? We had a database of links. We had a search engine. I mean, we say, we say, I say we, it was just me, right? that time that I built um, and then um, so so you were you were producing lots of different things yeah different websites just yeah. playing around with ideas to see what stuck yeah and everything worked right the, the, the kind of forum angle was just one like less profitable dimension of that broader website which became a good business later on so yeah and and so you you were sti- and at one point did you just decide you were going to stitch all these things together under the student rooms or or it just yeah. percolated in the background until one day you realised that there's actually quite a lot of people using it. Well, they were all kind of independent, but I guess the, the, the holding company was this student room entity, right? So, but I, I guess also like the one that became very very popular was the student room, right? So, but it was yeah, it was just always like in high demand, right? So. And so that's a business, and then you sold that business on while you were still at university. So I, I still, I still have a, like a stake in the company. I'm still on the board. So um, but yeah, I, I kind of left it to do like um, JP Morgan basically. So. Yeah. That in itself is an interesting decision, right? Because presumably you could have decided instead of going to work for someone else to stay and try and build and grow student rooms. I think there are two, two things. Firstly, I didn't know what to do with it, right? As in, I felt I had way more potential than I was able to, 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 to like take it to. And therefore, I wanted to bring in people who could help me build it properly, right? As in, it was kind of a waste, right? Um, I didn't have a way of looking at a business or I didn't have a way of like thinking about business, right? And therefore, so it was firstly, I felt I was under-delivering on the potential of the business. And secondly, I knew I was ignorant and I wanted to like learn, right? As in, I knew that I could learn a lot more um, by like, you know, like a, a career is a long time, right? Yeah. And therefore, um, like there are many more things to come. And that wasn't like, it wasn't like it was Facebook, right? Like one of our investors in Market Numbers was like, you, you could have won the Olympics. Instead, you won the school egg and spoon race, right? <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, like, was it that amazing? Okay, it was fine, right? But it wasn't like, it wasn't like Facebook, right? So. Yeah, well, that's uh, a fair comment. But mind you, it still points to some pretty impressive self-awareness for uh, someone at that age to know that um, that actually sort of stepping away from that and then going to JP Morgan was the smarter move in the long run. Um, it could have been, a, I mean, like, you know, like if I'd stuck with it and like reinvested all the money and like then maybe I'd be further ahead than I am today, right? I don't know, who knows? <laughs> um, and so, so you're working at J.P. Morgan. You're, you're working with these businesses that, like yeah. you've alluded to, to like the LexisNexis yeah. and the Reed Elsevier's and so on. Yeah. Um, at what point do you decide then that it's time to make a change again and, and actually look at starting up your next business? I mean, it, it was always like within within intentions to start something else. And so, um, with a friend, we tried to buy some companies, and they all seemed pretty terrible. So we thought, okay, we'll we'll, we'll lend to them instead, and that became Market Invoice. 
Oh, interesting. So we've read, you know, we've now lent like X billion pounds, um, from, and Santa there and Barclays have invested like forty million dollars in that business, and you know, it's it's done fine, right? So yeah, but I guess that was the same time as like Transferwise and um, Funding Circle and all these companies were getting started at precisely the same time as in yeah. two thousand and nine. So it's interesting, you, again, you're comparing them to some of the most, most successful companies of their type. Um, a, 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 it's almost as though you're saying market invoice was fine, but it wasn't you know, the best of the best. Um, you know, mo- most people would look at those two things that you've done there, the, the student rooms and their market invoices, an unmitigated success. I mean, like Funny Cycle, you know, IPO'd for like 1.x billion, right? Whereas the market invoice hasn't, right? Yeah. Similarly, like, you know, so like it was... Again, like it was like, you know, student room was before Facebook, wasn't Facebook, marketing voice was before like, you know, so I think like it was like right time, right idea, but you know, like as in just because you're there doesn't mean you're going to succeed, right? As in you can be right but wrong at the same time. What do, you, do you believe that you could also be just right and the circumstances didn't percolate in a way that made it possible? Because do, do you think if it wasn't Facebook, it would have been something exactly like Facebook but somewhere else in the world or did it have to be that idea at that time in that place? I could have done many things better right in terms of like I think this capacity to deliver and like overall strategy and you know like if you go into a business and you think about how you want to take it forward right like just having a conviction around where it should go and how it should how it should operate I, I think like I didn't have absolute clarity around that like, yeah, I mean, it, was, it could, could have done much better, right? Uh, fair enough, yeah. Do, could you, and, but do you, do you think that you could ever have absolute clarity on those things? Um, I think I can have more clarity, right? I think, like, I think, I think I've got more, like, you know, I, I can replay things and say, like, if I'd done this or that, then, yeah, I, I think, like, some things just take time and experience, right? Or having good people around you, right? So. Yeah. Like this time you raised from Index and Bolston who like are very good um, and have good perspectives on things, right? Whereas then it was just me on my own. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I saw on a, another interview you did that you mentioned that you you chose them because of what they could bring to the table from a, an experience point of view. Um, I took that to mean you didn't necessarily need to go out for investment. That could have been, you could have funded it in a different way. Yeah, I, I think like, Raising money now isn't particularly hard, right? You know, yeah. you can always you can always get more money. You can always take more dilution. You can always like raise at a lower price, or you know, like the, there's always money out there. The question is the the terms and the people you have involved with you. Yeah. On the subject of people, which is very much my uh, area of interest, how do you go about, or what rather, what lessons have you learned along the way in terms of? who to go into battle with when you're starting up a business you know how do you go about picking your founding team as it were um i think um i think in sf what you have is people are much more like stage appropriate as in people will happily do like a to b whereas i think that same culture doesn't exist in london right as in here people think like if you've capped out, then that's a failure, right? So I think I think you need to get the right people for the right time. And also, like, if you've got offices overseas, then it's very difficult to get people, like, 
I think you have to hire the absolute best people overseas because effectively they're kind of on their own in a separate kind of new company. So I think like, um, I think you have to be confident around getting in the right people at the right time and also hiring the best you can. I mean, that's a cliche, but I think it's it's true. Yeah, yeah, Because but the challenge of course is attracting them because yeah. because um, good people have lots of options available yeah. to them. There's always someone, and yeah. as you've said, people are raising money, so there's always yeah. someone that's got yeah. you know, offering a, a fat salary, especially in, a, in an industry that's growing, driving yeah. up salaries and so on. So, so how how did you manage how did you manage that situation? Let's talk about comply advantage. Yeah. I think um, yeah, I think um, in terms of the team, like yeah, I, I think I always tried to hire like I mean, I, without a team, you're nothing, right? So I think um, and I think if the company's growing quickly, then you can offer a lot more in terms of responsibility and progression and um that there's more money to invest so i i think that's been a like the fast growth has definitely been a, a catalyst to hiring much better people um yeah. like one of the first hires wanted a job in market invoice but then i managed to convince him to join here instead right so that, <laughs> really that was kind of helpful right and then i guess um also like meeting like clients as well right as in um like some of them like what we're doing and want to join the company here. So like there's even great highs there or people like, you know, I used to work with or referrals from the investors. Um, like some people are kind of VC fetishists and therefore they want like to work at a index Bolton company. Right. So I think, um, all those things like have helped also, I think being clear around the values of the company. And also I think in terms of establishing a kind of strong internal culture, I think some people believe that, um, the way to get results is to go around shouting at everyone and others believe that it's best to maintain like, you know, a clarity culture with like high energy and trust. So I, I think I'm probably more the latter than the former, right? So, um, yeah, I think you fight hard enough to attract people and therefore to retain them. You know, you, you don't want like, particularly now when there's like low unemployment and it's like a booming economy, you, you can't afford to be like horrific to your team, right? So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I agree with you on that. Um, and so this is, I suppose this is one of those uh, advantages of having this not being your first rodeo. You, you've kind of already got the credibility as well. So I guess if I'm, I'm looking at joining a startup um, and I'm presented with Charlie, who's got a couple of success stories under his belt. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, like, that's kind of effective, like the first 40 people. Hmm. But now we're like 270 yeah. people, right? So it's yeah, kind agreed. of like, so now people are joining like managers right and they're working and so like like if it's like 20 of us and th th then then fine I i'll actually see that person also in like half an hour a week with them or something right whereas whereas now it's like like you know any given person in the company i might, might say hello to for like two minutes and therefore like um yeah like it's about the system and processes and mission of the company rather than me personally yeah. and therefore like you know you, you're gonna have like as a heuristic like maybe you need one in ten to be leaders right so you need every single every single like general to be an effective leader yeah agreed and and how do you manage to um how do you try and 
how do you create a situation where you've got those leaders um, that are giving the people beneath them what they need in a business that's growing so fast? Because it seems like an almost impossible task. Yeah. Um, so I think a few different mechanisms. So firstly, like for the top leadership, we have kind of like a forum for everyone to communicate and people feel part of that, right? So there's, there's going to more buy-in. Secondly, there's kind of coaching and personal career development whereby if they want to transition from being like a individual contributor to a manager, then they can like have support in that. Um, I guess in terms of like, yeah, the, the training and materials there, like um, that's really critical. And then having the peer group to be able to like share information and benchmark and you know, it, it was a head of sales in APAC talking to head of sales in Europe, they, they can kind of compare best practice, right? So. I think building a kind of collaborative culture and also where there's like less blame and more like like growth mindset, then that's effective as well. And, and just a point on interviewing, do, do you have, um, do, you, do you tend to follow a set script on the, an interview? What, I'd be interested to know what it is that you're looking for. And I appreciate the skill sets can be yeah. different depending on the, the role that they've got, but are there commonalities? And if there are, how do you go about trying to sift through, sift for them? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think there's two dimensions to the interview. There's firstly, like the technical, can they do their job? Are they going to be effective at like their day-to-day tasks? And secondly, the cultural, as in, and therefore we have, and, and, and then in terms of like any assessment process is a balance between selling and assessing. And therefore you have to know at what point you want to switch between them two. If you're like highly excited by the candidate, then you need to switch to selling like very early on, right? Whereas, um, and so... Um, and there are diminishing marginal returns from additional interviewers, as in adding like the fifth, sixth, seventh person isn't going to give you new information, as most people have a similar reaction to the same person, and therefore we try and just limit it to kind of like two technical, two people interview on cultural, right? So, out of interest on the subject of founders, have you seen any commonalities amongst those that you've seen be more successful than others? I think ex-investors who have seen people succeed and fail tend to do well because not only are they competent in terms of they had to go through aggressive recruitment regimes, but also they've got the money in the bank and also they've seen people fail and they've got a network, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, I think people have done like, yeah, I think people have done it before and uh, uh, tend to do better. So, so it's experience, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. But the, the right kind of experience, yeah. I think. Uh, I suppose it's living with the consequences of your decisions, perhaps, again and again. In terms of? Well, I guess I was, I was actually thinking of a, a similarity to interviewing, funnily yeah. enough, because we were just talking yeah. about interviewing, which is the best interviews are typically people that have done a lot of interviewing and then live yeah. with the consequences of the decisions that they yeah. made. Yeah. Um, it gives you that uh, and you get body trained knowledge. Data, right? to, you can see, like, yeah. you know, when I first met this person, I thought they were great, but then they turned out to be crap and therefore I want to avoid that same mistake. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I thought no. they were great was this, but yeah. it turns out that was a pretty shallow reason to think yeah. that they were great kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So, and I guess in a VC, you are you will be living with the repercussions of the decisions yeah. that you've made, but in a way that's quicker than actually building your own business and seeing yeah. through to, to your point, it's like, it's like train data, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you can see, like, you know, like I had these features that I looked at and then like, yeah, I had some true positives and some, <laughs> and some false, false positives as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there any standout lessons that you've learned on that front in terms of putting a team together? Like, uh, sometimes it's nice um, 
people like to talk about the success, but often you learn more from the failures. Um, and, and obviously the audience listening to this might, might benefit from hearing some of the areas where you got it wrong. Is there anything that stands out where you've gone, do you know what, on reflection, I completely screwed up there in, in either hiring someone or uh, the, the way that you manage the team? I think, I think getting started in the US is hard. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I think um, the salaries in the US are just crazy, right, compared to yeah. UK. So I think we should just, I mean, early on, it's difficult to pay the money, right? But I yeah. think, um, I think ideally we would have like just ponied up a lot more, a lot earlier, right? So um, bitten the bullet and got someone like amazing, like on day one. Yeah. Um, but then you're kind of like testing the water, the product, you know, so it, it, in retrospect, it's much easier than it is um, yeah, at the time. Um, I guess, clarity around what you want them to do. I think often when you're muddled in terms of like, oh, this thing's a nice to have and a high because of that, like actually, what are they going to be doing on the core day-to-day basis, right? I think um, thirdly, like, references right i think that's more predictive than anything else right so but then um well you just got to be careful with those because obviously you, you, it's the the point of view of the person giving the reference yeah. can influence a lot what they're going to tell you yeah um that's something i've observed <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess with a pinch of salt right so yeah. um i think ideally um you want to spend as much time with them as possible as in like it's kind of crazy that you know after like five hours of talking to someone you want to spend like every day working with them right so i think um yeah i think um but i I guess the way to think about it is like uh there's like there's the optimal stopping distance algorithm or the secretary problem whereby like you 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 have to like take like calibrate with like 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 say six candidates and then take someone who's 30 percent better than the rest of them because like some some jobs will attract people who are amazing, right? Like, um, like I guess people working in say the legal function will be paid like twice what someone will be paid in say like an accounts receivable function, right? And therefore you shouldn't expect the same behaviors from a, a kind of class of job which pays like far more, right? So um, even though like that candidate pool is going to be less competent than another candidate pool. You, like, that's what it is, right? And you have to take it. Yeah. Just thinking back to around 2016, um, when my professional relationship with Comply Advantage began, one of the things I always thought was that you guys consistently punched above your weight in terms of marketing. Um, I was always a big fan of the... Uh, the themes that you talked about in your your marketing it was very much as though you were presenting it as uh, you're the good guys fighting the bad guys you know I remember conferences where you you'd have the tagline not all heroes wear capes Um, and uh, and and speaking to people in the industry I think the the common uh, perception was that you guys were, were punching above your weight uh, how did you go about deciding on that that kind of approach um, how much of that was your decision? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good, right? I, I guess, um, like, in terms of, like, how we thought of ourselves, um, like, I guess if you say compliance, like, 
it sounds like really boring yeah it sounds like <laughs> yeah uh, and like i don't think for anyone's self-image people want to do something that's kind of boring right so mm. or like think of themselves as working in like a bureaucratic like back office function that like you know like it's not like it's not sexy or exciting right so yeah. so i think like whereas actually what we're doing is anti-money laundering terrorist financing right which is actually pretty yeah, interesting yeah. right so i think um i think yeah to attract the best people you can't you can't say listen hey come work in like a boring bureaucratic you know, you, you'll make it interesting exciting right so it's the way you and if you don't believe it then why should anyone else right so um and i didn't choose to work in this space because like i had no options like you know, I, I thought it was a, a space that's really important and worth like investing in and solving right so um in terms of like the punching bubble weight, yeah, I think it's great, right? I, I think um, I think partly that was a result of the fact that, that there weren't many companies in the space, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, what's the plans for your plans for this business now? Um, so we raised the B, which is thirty million dollars, and um, that was to kind of grow the company, right? Like you know, um, the plan was never to like sell the company the plan was to grow the company right and so therefore we're, we're going to apply that money into like i guess fundamentally any company is like building or selling or telemetry around that right yeah. so yeah i think it's basically trying to build the best product trying to gain scale um attract more users yeah i think that's that's been like blocking and tackling since day one right so it's just, it's just kind of I, ultimately we want to solve money laundering terrorist financing by applying good technology right so yeah it, it, and, and that's who fundamentally is doing the building and selling it's the team right so it's building a team around that what's the role of a ceo um the the standard response is strategy finance culture right um yeah so but yeah i I think um at this scale like the company can function without your input but i think it's you know a good leader will get an extra like 30% 30% out of any any team size, right? So I think um, hopefully just by, and also like filling in the gaps between teams or making things function more effectively. So yeah, I think fundamentally it is just kind of how do I get, like go as fast as possible. What what drives Charlie personally then? What's the end goal for Charlie? Uh, fundamentally, I think for me it's fun and I enjoy it, right? I need something to do, otherwise I'll be at home on my sofa right so yeah i mean like <laughs> like like you know like it's just fun right and you know, like, it's cool right i mean like it's not like a, it's not like a means to an end it's not as if i'm doing it to get somewhere right it's you know it's just i like doing it right um and it's fun so yeah i mean like um and like i've done it like like it, it, it was always cool when you walk into like a room and you built something amazing and yeah like the best thing about building a company is that um there's no cap on the upside right as in you know it can like if you're investing in debt, like most you can get is like five, five, 10%, right? Whereas, you know, like you, you're building a company, it's like, there's no limit to what cool stuff you can do, right? I mean, it's, and I think there's all kinds of, you've got like a 20 year roadmap stuff we want to build. Yeah, I mean, there's all really? kinds of potential, right? Yeah, I mean, like there's no limits to the amount of stuff we could be doing, right? So, um, and I need money to fund that, right? So <laughs> like, and it's expensive, yeah. right? So yeah, I, I want to, and I, and also like to, you know to, to hire someone awesome and watch them like do cool stuff is great right or to, yes. you know it's like i think that is quite a um so yeah i mean it's, it's like itself, it? i mean there's this specific company and there's building companies in general right i think um if this space didn't exist 
then I build another company, right? Yeah. I mean, this space is a good space. I, I like this space, but it's not like I, I like I would be building a different company. I wasn't doing this. Yeah. So it sounds like you're you're kind of focused on enjoying the journey as well. As yeah. In you, you're enjoying what you're doing. The process of building these businesses is. I, I think like. If I was like Sir Jacob Morgan, right? I'd, I'd be bored, right? I think. So I, I, I think you kind of, I, I kind of enjoy the existential angst and like fear, right? I think, mean, you know, like the highs are, you know, like the highs are highs and the lows are lows, right? Yeah. I think it's like, I love it. but I think like, I know, I mean, I couldn't stand like just, you know, if you work hard for 20 years, then you'll get promoted to this. I don't want to do that, right? Yeah. What, what, made, what do you think made, made you feel this way? Um, like I guess you know, like I, I saw it when I was sixteen. It was cool that it, you know, like I built a company. It was worked. It was great, right? Yeah, it was just fun. And that shaped a lot of your kind of. I think if, if if people have done the same thing as me, they would probably feel the same way, right? Yeah. So going back to something more vanilla would be. I think having your own products is fun, right? I think having yeah. like you know, like building cool stuff is like fun, right? So, and I, I don't think you can hold yourself in purgatory for twenty years saying like, oh. If I build it to sell it, I think also intensity and motivation is important, right? In terms of you, you need to give yourself good incentives, right? If it's like, oh, I've worked really hard end of the year, I'll be able to get a five grand bonus, right? That's not really exciting, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, like if I work really hard, then I can transform the world, and like, you know, you're going to be a lot more hardworking and effective, and live a much better life if you build something cool, right? Whereas if you set yourself up with like goals which are of inconsequential like remit, then it's just like what's the point in living right if you're just kind of you know you're like half dead already right yeah well that is a perspective but i guess that there are not everyone's going to agree with that presumably um but I, mean, I i totally see where you're coming from i mean you, you know you can live for like your friends or your family and like but at the very least you're gonna to have to work at some point right so at least yes. make it fun and interesting right well i i absolutely agree with you on that um okay so so probably there's going to be uh, if we fast forward twenty years, there are going to be uh, other businesses that you're going to you're going to be starting up down the line. Hopefully, this. I mean, like, it's much easier to build one big business than like, like, three small companies, right? Yeah. As in, it's easier to double this than start like. As in, to get from to get to the stage, like, you no, know, if you're doubling size every year, then first year you add six, then you add twelve. You know, it's, it's slow, right? And it's it, if it's like a hyperbolic curve then most of the progress is only visible in the past in the last like few percentage points right so it's kind of like like yeah you, you need to kind of um the absolute growth appears relatively late right so um do i want to go back and start like a fourth time not not, not really right it's not like it's yeah the um the the building in Notting Hill Gate that was due to be condemned and... that was much better than the one in Victoria, right? <laughs> so you know, but you you're quite happy with this sort of setup, something a bit nicer. Um, no, I think it's bad. I think I think it implies to people that we've made it and we're there. We're not, right? We've still got tons of work to do, right? So I think it gives off the wrong signal. Oh, I, mean, really? I, guess, I guess perhaps like clients might like it, or yeah, I, I don't know. I think like um, a bit comfortable, a bit too yeah. comfortable. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Charlie, if you could go back in time to speak to an 18-year-old Charlie Dellingpole and give him one piece of advice, what would it be? I got asked the question last week, right? And I think, my, like, I think, um, 
I think some stuff just kind of takes time, right? Like in terms of like, I think like building up like knowledge or like experience. For me, it was always like, you have to keep on learning, right? Even though you left university, doesn't mean you just stop like improving or un- like developing your understanding. Um, um, yeah, that's one answer. The answer is like, bet 10 grand on Leicester to win the <laughs> Premier League like three years ago, right? Like all you can do is fundamentally like move forward and then progress and understand, right? I think like, like I, I think I don't think I've changed my mindset since, right? Like I've always like tried to like work hard and learn and improve and like yeah, I think I think just if you do that, then that, then that compounds, right? And that yeah. was, that was my strategy as an eighteen year old, same strategy today, right? So you wouldn't have any advice to an eighteen year old. Uh... Leicester Premier League. Know, like... <laughs> Fair enough. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Reg Tech Legends podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Charlie's story. I'm certainly very grateful to Charlie for sharing it with us. Um, next week, we're going to be sitting down with none other than Reg Tech Legend, Mr. Dean Curtis. Uh, really great interview. Definitely one to look forward to. So, see you next week. Take care. Thank you.